Once upon a time, there was a podcaster who thought Rogue One was not only the best Star Wars film, but the best film of 2016. He is an idiot! Did you feel a sense of frustration watching the credits of A Force Awakens crawl across the screen, telling yourself, no, they totally could have stolen more scenes and plot points from the original trilogy? Did you sit at the edge of your seat, in tears, at the end of Godzilla, telling yourself that the arduous journey with such boring, bland, unlikable characters couldn't possibly be over? Well then, buddy, have I got a film for you. Rogue One blends these two heavily sought-after elements together, and it does so flawlessly. All attendees will be provided not one, but two play-along games to further your entertainment experience. The first game you may be familiar with. It's called Hope, Empire, or Jedi. As you view Rogue One, try to determine which of the original films you've witnessed these scenes before. Careful, though. The presence of AT-ATs may cause you to lean Empire, but the right answer is Jedi. The second game is Gareth Edwards' Bingo. Bland lead characters you don't care about at best and actively despise at worst? Check. A weird mismanagement of action scenes where the primary focus seems to be people looking at other more interesting things happening. Check. An out-of-nowhere, forced and ultimately doomed romance between our leads? Check. An interesting performance by a minor character that should have been the lead? Triple check. That's bingo, folks. But wait, there's more. Act now and you get to finally experience the Force as a genuine religion, the kind that seems overbearing and annoying. You get to see not one but two classic Star Wars characters turned into Golgoth and shit monsters of CGI rubber. You get to see 3PO and R2 shoehorned into an unnecessary and confusing cameo. Join our heroes, the sociopath who learned to get hard for a girl, and bland-faced, confused motivation, as they gather an elite unit of cardboard cutout stereotypes to embark on the most dangerous and darkest Star Wars story of all time. And don't forget to bring the marshmallows. Tonight, the role of Brian Cranston will be played by Forrest Whitaker, and the role of idiot podcaster will be played by Jeff Holland. The moral of the stories, boys and girls, is that the Slumgullion got a second season. I mean, come on, even Scott hated the CGI shit monsters. Slumgullion. 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 Slum, slum. Slumgullion. Slum, slum. Slumgullion. Jeff Holland. Slumgullion. Slum, slum. Slumgullion. Scott Clevenger. Slumgullion. Slum, slum. Slumgullion. Other people. Slum, slum. Slumgullion. And the role of the writer looking for a new podcast will be played by Indy McDaniel. Hello, friends, lovers, friends I want to be lovers, lovers I want to be friends, and everybody else in the multiverse. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Slumgullion America's Only Podcast. I am Jeff Holland, and across the several time zones is Scott Clevenger. How are you, boss man? Uh, <clears throat> I've got a miserable cold, but if that kind of thing didn't stop Edward R. Murrow from broadcasting a message of hope and defiance from the heart of London during the Blitz, it's not going to stop me from talking about the Power Rangers. 
and you don't smoke, so it's even better. Exactly. Exactly. I'll exactly. <laughs> by the way, by the way, How I would just it? like to say, I would just like to say, I'm sorry. Let me just get this in real quick because this has been bugging me since uh, day before yesterday. They really need to change the pharmaceutical term of art over the counter because it's not just behind the counter. Now it's it's under the counter. It's it's nowhere to be seen. It's not even near the counter. It used to be you could just go get grab cold medication off the shelf, but now apparently everybody, man, woman, and child, is a potential Heisenberg. And no matter how much you walk into CVS, red-eyed, sniffling, sneezing, a glorious cascade of snot running down your face, they assume you'd rather cook meth in a rundown motel room in Yukaipa than relieve your post-nasal drip. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a philologist. I, I just feel like, as a consumer, the Oxford English Dictionary really needs to get the hell off its leather-bound ass. That's all. Now, did they did they fingerprint you, make it make you give a stool sample before they gave you the cold medication? No, I was actually looking forward to that. They just wanted my license, but still, I just I felt like I was under suspicion, and and you know, I'm the least. I I can't even make toast. I'm not going to be able. To, I'm the least likely meth cooker. Now I'm just imagining you in on one of those Breaking Bad sets, and it's making me giggle. <laughs> That's really kind of funny. Anyway, we have a lot to get to today. We have two movies for you in the Unknown Movie Challenge. But as I said, it's a new year. It's a new website. Don't forget, we now have the slumgullion.com where you can find an archive of all of our shows. And we now officially have a Facebook page. So if you are on the Facebook and not people, you know, not following us yet on Facebook, what is the address? Is it just facebook.com, the slumgullion? Uh, yeah. I mean, just go on Facebook and search for the Slumgullion and you'll find us. There's there. Our banner is is an unmistakably iconic image from um, Invasion of the Saucermen. Bulb <laughs> headed aliens carrying a scantily dressed blonde in distress, which is the way it should be. Exactly. Hey, we're also uh, we're also on Twitter. That is very true. I I am now officially the at the Slum Gullion, and Scott is at Scott Clevenger. Uh, officially, and, now, I guess. Like it, yes, exactly. <laughs> and as I said, new website, new hand Twitter handle for me, new theme. Now let's get back to the same old shit. <laughs> I thought you'd like that one. But before we get into the same old shit, I I um I got to say something. And um I don't want to start off with a downer, but I I I really need to talk about this. Sing out, Louise. I got to talk about Carrie. Carrie the Stephen King book or Carrie the Fisher. Bo- oh, Carrie, Carrie oh, Fisher. Good grief. How did my brain take that short circuit? Of course. Good grief. Ah. I I'm I've been I, I haven't talked about this on Facebook or really on Twitter or on anything. I think the only thing I said on Twitter that day was uh, devastated. Um, if you've been listening to us for any length of time, you know that uh, both Scott and I are first gen Star Wars babies. Um, my mommy took me to see it. I believe it was the second or third week out back in 1977 before it was even called a new hope. So that's right. I'm one of the OGs of star Wars fandom. Um, 
Star Wars is the movie that made me want to be an actor. Star Wars is the film that made me want to get into the quote-unquote industry. One of the running jokes that my mom always had was, you saw Star Wars. I mean, that's space. I'm surprised you didn't want to be an astronaut. How did you get acting out of Star Wars? Because let's be honest, the acting in Star Wars isn't that awesome. Well, uh, maybe that was it. Maybe Maybe you just thought, hey, going into space is hard. Have you seen the astronaut? Uh, program they're very exacting but clearly acting's not that hard look at Harrison Ford <laughs> no actually I can tell you I can tell you exactly what it is what it was uh, this is one of those things that is ingrained into my brain and will never disappear I know I've talked about this before but I need to talk about this again I I, I have not been able I'm still processing this um Saw it seven years old, pack theater, movie comes on, that opening fanfare starts, and I completely forget that I'm in a movie theater. I mean, literally, the next thing I know, the, the film is over. I mean, I watched the entire film, but it seemed to, like, pass in an instant. And I remember, as we were walking out of the theater, mom, Mommy asked me if the baby crying in the seat behind me bothered me. I never heard it. I had absolutely no clue that there was a baby crying in this seat directly behind me. Um, that movie messed with my head in a good way, in a, in, a, in a way that no film has ever been able to do since then. Now, there have been films that have made me forget that I was in a theater, but never a film that has transformed me. I don't know if I was just the right age, but I was a different child walking out of that theater than I was walking in. And, you know, I mean, Carrie Fisher was a part of that. All of them are. And I mean, I, when, when Kenny Baker died, that hurt. But I mean, you know, to, 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 to use the DC analogy, this is one of the Holy Trinity. Yeah. And it just, killed me and then the next day with debbie reynolds yeah well, that hit my uh, yeah i was up in uh, portland with my uh, my sister's family and my, uh, my sister and my wife they were just going no this can't be because she was taken to the hospital it was the same thing you didn't you, you she didn't she wasn't immediately reported uh dead she was or they'd taken to the hospital then it was oh it seems she had a stroke and then inevitably uh, she's passed away so that was you know what the saddest part of that is I mean what what really messed with me even today is I watched a um, video with uh, Jolie Fisher and Carrie Fisher's other sister mm-hmm. and this is the first interview that they'd given since Carrie's death and uh, one of the things that they, they said during the interview was that while everyone was in the hospital with Carrie they were looking at Debbie Fisher, and both of the sisters knew. They knew that if Carrie died, that Debbie Fisher, that, that she was not going to survive it. Debbie, her mother. That Debbie Reynolds, that they knew that Debbie Reynolds was not going to last. If Carrie, if, if, if they flat out say in the interview that if Carrie, that if they knew that if Carrie went, Debbie Reynolds would be gone shortly thereafter. They knew it. Some parents can't face the prospect of, of uh, outliving their children. Well, no, no parent should, but I mean, I'm sorry to start this thing off with a downer, but I, like I said, I have kept quiet about this. I mean, I watched A New Hope again. Actually, hell, I watched the entire original trilogy again since it happened, but um, I just needed to say goodbye. And, and 
Rightly so. I mean, it's 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 a tremendous loss, uh, not just to that particular um, film franchise, but I think to the arts in general. I mean, she was a very to gifted, writing. My she God, was she was one of the best script doctors. Uh, she was she was an extraordinarily uh, gifted writer. And have you read any of her books? I have. Yes, I've read several of her books. And okay. Uh- Brilliant! I just picked up um, the Princess Diary, the Princess Diaries, or the Princess Diarist. The Prince. Oh, did you? Yes, I have not have read you? it yet, but I okay. but I have it. I can't wait. I'm I'm. Although I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm I know I'm going to laugh at the whole Carrie Harrison Ford thing, but I can't wait to read this. Yeah, I've I've I think I read I think Postcards from the Edge was the first thing I read right when it yep. first came out, uh, before it was made into a movie. Um, Actually, Under the Pink was the first one that Surre- I read. Surrender the Pink. Surrender the Pink. That was that's, Under the Pink is Tori Amos. That's right. Surrender the Pink is the first book of hers that I read. Damn. And I remember I, I was in a book club when it came out, and that was like the major. Remember, for those of you who don't remember, books are things that you could use to buy in stores that you could flip open and read. And they actually had clubs where you could buy books and they would send them to you via the mail. Freaky, I know. And uh, that was the uh, main title for that month. And I remember it said Carrie Fisher. And I'm like, wait, Princess Leia can write? Oh, could she write? Yeah, I th- I th- actually, I, and- I just I just saw the the Twitter. The- the thing I said on Twitter is that um, she was a great screen pre- presence, but she was a crackling writer and something she's not enough given enough credit for. She was a showbiz wit in the Dorothy Parker. Vein. Oh, she was literate. Yes. She was quotable. She was self-deprecating, but she had a, a wry perspective on pretty much everybody in the whole business. I mean, she she some people get consumed by it when they're when they're raised in show business and become insufferable. Um and she she did not she i mean she obviously had had terrible demons and went through a tremendous struggle with addiction but um her she had this she had this Im- imperishable wry perspective that that i think it's a special kind of intelligence that when you see it it's just it's it's hypnotic and i it's it's and i'm proud of myself the one thing i'm going to end here the oh, one let's thing make it about I'm you most, yes <laughs> Yes, exactly. Uh, the one thing that I am most proud of is it took me at least four days before I started the even thinking, God, what's going to happen to the Star Wars movies? Oh, all right. Well, you sh- yeah, okay. That that's a legitimate source of pride. I because I remember like I remember that that day, the day she died, and all the information was coming out. I saw a tweet saying, "What will happen to Star Wars?" And I'm like, "Really? Yeah. It just fucking happened. Take some time." Yeah, but that's just me. And I'm sorry. I did not mean to start this off on a downer. Well, you, uh, it's, I guess it was just serendipity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Let's do let's do something fun. You mentioned a game. Oh yeah. Well, I don't have much fun it'll be, but yes, I do have a game for you. Um, it'll be better. It'll be better than talking than being depressed. So lay it on me, big uh, man. Well, it depends on the results we get. Um, I was thinking that I would like to know what makes you, Jeff Holland, tick, because you're a. I think Uh-oh. you're a you're a very interesting person, and. Because there's a lot of insane people in this country nowadays, you can't be too careful. So I'd like to do a brief word association game. I'll read the title of an upcoming genre movie. 
and you give me just a one word response. Okay, I can do that. All right, very good. These are movies, all genre films that are going to be released in the first part of 2017. We'll begin with now. Yes, go ahead. real fast before you start. Before mm-hmm. you start, I do have a question. Um, do noises count, or do they have to be words? You know, I would prefer words because it is okay. Okay. it's a word association, not say an armpit fart association. But I, well, I mean that would get the point across. But I understand. Sure. Okay. Yes. It's just it's just you may fire when I'm ready. taking notes. It's hard to I don't know how to spell armpit fart. Um, Understood. All right. You may fire when ready. The Great Wall. Interested. Okay. Logan. Oh, man. Uh, First off the top of my head, hard. Hard? Really? Why? I can't fucking wait to see that movie. Oh, that kind of hard. I get it. (laughs) That kind of hard. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Right now, outside of um, episode eight, that may be one of the things I'm most looking forward to this year. I am too. I have to say it's got, I don't know. I mean, generally I think um, it's, you should keep your grim dark out of my superheroes. It makes for a terrible, terrible Reese's peanut butter cup of popular culture, but there is, I understand there is an elegiac quality to at least the first trailers that makes me feel like this could be a very interesting story that this, that there may be some, that there they're taking two good actors. They're going to allow them to stretch and that it may be a very fitting end to, to the saga of this particular character. I mean, let's, let's face it. This character was the foundation, the driving force for the, for the whole Fox X-Men franchise without Logan. Yep. Probably wouldn't, would not have persisted as long as it did. So uh, I feel like this is, this is a, an exciting opportunity to bring a story of a character, a really iconic character full circle and i'm hoping that they and that they don't screw it up (laughs) and real fast before you get on to your next one i don't know if you know this or not but to continue the truly fitting ending it has been rumored we do not know if this is true or not although i'm pretty sure that it is that there will be an after credit scene whatever the ending that there is going to be an after credit scene that has been filmed Featuring a certain other quote-unquote superhero. Yeah, I've heard that, and I've also heard that that's untrue. I've heard the rumor. Oh, I've heard it that needs to happen. It would be it would be nice, but you know what? I have a feeling that it's probably not true, only because I get the sense that if the tone of the trailers is anything, if, if the film is anything like the tone of the trailers, that having that particular superhero appear in an end credit sequence would be jarring and out of place. See, I, I think, I think that's why if indeed it is going to happen, that they would do it as an after credit scene, give you time to like, just digest everything over the end credits and then throw a little bone. Personally, I think it should be in Deadpool too. Uh, yeah, that's I would, final. I'd rather, I'd rather see it in Deadpool too. But I mean, this needs to happen. The right Deadpool needs to hang out, needs to have a scene with with his with Wolverine. That has to fucking happen. I agree, and and I I have also heard, and again, who knows which if any well, of these yeah. rumors are true, that Ryan Reynolds has been has been giving um, 
Hugh Jackman of Full Court Press trying to get him to agree to make a, one final, one additional appearance as Wolverine in in a, in a Deadpool movie. So that would be great. The the after credit sequence rumor, I am calling it now. I'm calling it too good to be true. But we'll see. Okay, understood. We'll see. Understood. Okay, next film. Next. Kong Skull Island. Intrigued. Okay. So Great Wall just gets an interesting interested, but Kong Skull Island gets an intrigued. Well, it has a it has a giant monkey and it has John C. Riley. Which are both promising and in some ways indistinguishable from each other. <laughs> Next. Beauty and the Beast. Uh, I can't. All right. One word. Damn you, Scott. Um, reticent. Ah, that's a very proper word. Excellent. In keeping with the whole G-rated ethos of the film. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. I mean, I heard that I finally, they finally posted a clip of Emma Watson singing. Well, supposedly and... it's Emma Watson singing. I think it, I, it sounds like her. I think it's Emma Although, Watson. It's Emma Watson at best uh, in a duet with Auto Tune. Well, okay. I I, I saw somebody uh, talking about that, and they're at least according to him, and he played it. I didn't notice it the first time, but when he pointed out, there is one spot in particular where it is definitely auto tuned. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, it's like right at the very beginning, and once I heard, it, I was like, "Oh, yeah, there it is." But even the guy who pointed that out said that's the only place where it is in that sequence, and he's like, "I hope the whole thing is not auto tuned. I hope this isn't a." You know, uh, a, a shape of things to come, but we shall see. I mean, maybe it's maybe she can sing. Who knows? I just I've never heard any. But, you know, sometimes you get surprised by things like that. And certainly nowadays, if yeah. anybody has even a pleasant sing it in the shower voice, uh, technology exists to make them um, passable on screen. Cert- cert- certainly none of these people should, you know, go on the concert stage or attempt to, to <laughs> take a role on Broadway, but a lot of people can can uh, be made to sound okay on screen. I It worries me more that it, a lot of it seems like a shot-for-shot shot remake, um, which uh, certainly didn't work out that well with Psycho. Granted, it's different material, but um, I don't know. And also... And also, I um everything that I've I have not seen anything about the exclusion or in exclusion of old songs from the from the play or the inclusion of new songs. As far as I know, it's pretty much a straight adaption of the play. Uh, I believe they've they've added one or possibly two new songs. Oh, okay, okay. I, I think I've been, that's what I heard. I will I I will look deeper then because I have Alan Menken wrote the song. Alan Menken. Yeah, it was uh, Alan Menken. And that was how Howard Menken. Alan how, uh, Alan Menken. Howard Ashman. Right. Alan Menken. I believe that was before Ashman died. I believe has contributed at least one new song, but we'll see. Well, um, I know that generally... it was Alan Menken and and Tim Rice who wrote the play. Oh, is it Tim Rice? Tim Rice wrote the new the non Ashman songs for the play. So, okay. well. He, yeah, I believe I. If I uh, this is all maddeningly vague, and I probably should have boned up on it. But I believe uh, I only read I only read uh, Mangan's name, and I believe you have to have at least if you're if you're adapting 
something, you have to uh, you have to have a, at least one original song so you can compete in the Oscars. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, the the main reason that I'm reticent about this is, I mean, I like all the human actors, I like the look of the beast, but oh my god, the castle inhabitants are freaking me the fuck out. Oh, me too, me too. And what the hell is with Ewan McGregor's French accent? They are disturbing me in, I'm sorry? What the hell is with Ewan McGregor's French accent? I I mean, they they are doing to me what Tarkin did to you. Ah, okay. I get it. That, that, that's what they are doing to me. Not, not in a, obviously not the whole dead actor come back, but just creepy. This is wrong. They look fake. There's just, that does not look right at all. Yes. There's one scene where you, you get a, a, a up shot of, of chip, little cup. Yes. You know, Pleased to meet you or whatever. And then you cut to her with this kind of like forced smile. And, and I just like, Oh, the scene would be great if she just got, okay. Ah, and then threw him against the wall and he shattered. Yes. Yes, would, in I my version of the film. I'll go see that movie. Um, okay, uh, next, uh, Power Rangers. Non-existent. Okay, did you watch Power Rangers at any point when it was on TV? I watched... Okay, uh, I remember when it started, okay? And um, I, at that at that time, I had a massive hatred of badly dubbed kung fu films really i i hated i it was my it was just a t- period in my life I, it was just, like i said before power rangers i when i was a kid on like saturday mornings like uh the the local like movie host there'd be a horror film and a kung fu film usually hmm. so i saw a lot of badly dubbed kung fu films from like from the shaw brothers you know growing growing up as a child and once and as i was a teenager it just i started hating them and once i once i started becoming an actor and actually performing and being told that i actually am a good actor i look at these and i would go this is horrible that's not the real actor these guys are horrible this is just bad i uh... this is just bad and when i saw the when i watched like the first two or three episodes of the power rangers and the stuff from the japanese show that they pilfered from was again badly dubbed and badly acted and then i saw the american actors and i'm like your guys are just boring no so I watched maybe two episodes now don't get me wrong i am not denying its place in pop culture history just because I do not like something does not mean I, I will shun it. I, I will make sure no one else watches it. I'm not one of those people, although we may be that way in this country in a few years. True. I respect it for what it did and how, you know, and how it changed pop culture and how many people love it. But that being said, oh, my God, that trailer looks like it's taking what was a quote unquote fun TV show and turning it into a boring, angst filled piece of shit. Yeah, I um I know very little. I I didn't watch the show. Um, although uh, all I know is that apparently I'll soon be able to get my own Zord with the purchase of any thirty-two ounce beverage. Um, oh goody! But yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I thought, well, this is the uh, what is this, is this Chronicle or something? Why, why are they, they're taking this they're taking this real uh, emo approach to it? But uh, I want to just say one thing before I forget that um, I'm I'm. I'm pretty uh, merciless on on the subject of bad dubbing, uh, and bad dubbing can can be either asynchronous or just badly 
or inappropriately acted or both. The only place right. I ever forgave it was in Kung Fu movies because I used to go see those in New York and 42nd Street. And I, I am more than happy to read subtitles, but not in a Kung Fu movie because you miss all the action. And what they're saying is generally not worth reading anyway. So see, I, I, it, and for me, it was all, it was kind of part of the fun. What surprises me is that understood. I get that. I get that. It surprises me that they would run a monster movie or a horror movie and a Kung Fu movie because so, a lot that of those, was this host. A lot of those this Kung host, Fu movies, yeah, but they were very Kung cut. Fu movies, they were very cut. They were R-rated. So yeah, you must not only was it badly dubbed and but badly chopped. Yeah, so they must have been like fever dreams. I remember the first. There was a movie. I remember the first time that I saw, as for lack of a better word, an adult one of the kung fu films that I'd seen several times as a kid and I got to see the original undubbed version and uncut. Yeah, I was blown away by how violent it was. Yeah. I did not expect that at all. Now if I may if I may offer a slightly differing opinion on the Kung Fu dubbing thing, I've thought about it more as an adult and I can actually I can watch them now and giggle again like I used to. Mm -hmm. I've gotten my mirth back where that goes. But I still like watching the subtitled ones more. And it's the actor in me. I want to hear the original performance. Sure. Whether I can understand it or not, that's I would much rather hear the original actor. Okay. Fair but enough. that's that again. That's just me. But I, I, like I said, I mean, I've been watching. Um, I've been lucky both on Hulu and on Netflix, and even on um, on on the YouTubes. There is a vast selection of both dubbed and subtitled kung fu films. Mm -hmm. So I've been kind of every so often when I get into the mood or if I have the right medication, I'll like, do I want dubbed or do I want subtitle? I'll pick one I've seen before, pick one I haven't seen in a while. The problem with YouTube is um, uh, I've noticed if you do pick a, a, a subtitled version, sometimes they're from um, pan and scan copies. Yes. And they yes. just cut off, you know, both ends of, of, of the sentence. So you can. It's like oh. that's why the subtitled ones I tend to go to either you, uh, Hulu or um, Netflix. Right. Yeah, you know, really if good. I'm in the mood to actually for acting, I'll do those. If I just want to giggle, then I go to the YouTubes and watch the dubbed ones. Okay, fair enough. Uh, next, Ghost in the Shell. Unknown. Hmm. Okay. I know nothing about I know nothing about the manga. All I know is that Scarlett Johansson is in it, and that caused some controversy. But I like Scarlett Johansson. The first trailer was interesting. Will I see it? Probably. Did you watch any of the animes? No. I all I know is it is an anime. I know nothing oh, about okay. it. Oh, okay. Well, that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting to, to talk about when it does come out. That comes out on March thirty first. Um, okay. That'll be an interesting discussion because you'll go in with almost with little foreknowledge. Try to preserve and that. I'm Try to preserve keeping, that and I'm keeping I'm keeping completely away from spoilers on this. Okay, excellent. I want to I want to go. It's rare that I get to go into a film completely blind. I mean, yeah, I went in blind with Rogue One, but I knew what the film was. You know, what I mean, it's a Star Wars film. This is what it is. Mm -hmm. I know jack shit about Ghost in the Shell. Okay. So I'm actually kind of looking forward to seeing a movie that I know nothing about. It's rare. It's rare nowadays, yeah. Thanks, Internet. Okay, next. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. <sighs> I, 
Fun. Okay. That really just fun, huh? Just fun. Okay. All right. So the first one, I, I, I this is going to get me in trouble. Oh, that's right. I don't I think. For... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I think the Guardians of the Galaxy was a fun film. I don't think it's a particularly good film. Right. I forgot we did have that discussion. Um, yeah, my one word. I mean, response I will to that see. Would... Hmm? Go ahead. My one word response would be want, because I really like. Understood. The I mean, I enjoyed the film. I will mm-hmm. definitely see it opening weekend. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't wait to see Rocket and Baby Groot. I think that relationship is just going to be one of the funniest damn things in the film. It has great promise. Yeah, it does. So, I mean, I'm going to see it, but again, with all the Marvel films, I walk in going, all right, I hope I like you. Yeah, I I, I, I don't usually have that. I the, the burden of proof is... <laughs> It's not on the films for me so much with Marvel because I walk in usually feeling pretty good, usually feeling optimistic that I like them. Uh, It's the DC films that I walk into uh, with a sense of dread and foreboding. Um, Well, it's not even a sense of dread. It's not a sense of dread and foreboding for me with Marvel. It's more of a sense of this is going to be average. I'm going to be watching an average multi-billion dollar tentpole picture. Yay. This is not going to wow me. Okay. It's fun. Yay. Okay. Yay. Except for Doctor Strange. Right. We all know how I felt about Strange. And, they and, did it right. And and you went in pretty much anticipating greatness. Yeah, I so. yeah, I went in I, I, I if you guys remember I said if they fuck up Strange, I am done with Marvel. Yeah, so you worked, you worked I'm done. So. You had your heart on your oh, sleeve. Yeah. You were you made yourself vulnerable. They could have crushed you easily. Yes, they could have. Oh, absolutely. I I know it. I know it. I mean, I would. I right before you know we're sitting there, we're getting ready to watch the movie. I leaned into Walter and I go, "You do realize that um, if this sucks, I'm probably going to cry at some point during this film." And he goes, "It's not going to suck." And I'm like, "I know, but I'm just preparing myself just in case." That was a happy day. Okay, next, King Arthur: Legend of the Sword. <sighs> Renter. <laughs> Good enough. Moving on. Alien. Covenant. Want. Really? Oh, that's right. You like Prometheus, that's... didn't you? You like Prometheus. I am one of the three people on the planet that actually like Prometheus, yes. I admit that. But that's not why I want this movie. Why do you want it? I want this movie because I saw that, re- that, that first trailer, and holy fuck, the vibe that I got out of it was pure first alien. They are trying for that, definitely. And if they can, if Ridley Scott can achieve that level of tension again, fuck yeah. Well, we'll see if he can. He is. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not. Again, I I want to say, you know, I mean, it's. I'm going to be going in with trepidation, you know, with, with reticence. I'll use that word again. But uh, I do. I I really want to see the film. This film. I want. I want. I want an alien film again. We had Prometheus. Now I want an alien film. Yeah, whatever the hell Prometheus was. Okay. I'm not I'm not arguing that. I'm not arguing that. I know. Uh Wonder yeah. Woman. Want Yeah. 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 I cannot fucking Oh my god. Have you, have you seen the Russian trailer? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, only, the only thing only a little only a little <laughs> extra footage, but but, 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 at least we know that that rocking guitar lick is the Wonder Woman theme. Yes. Isn't that, 
Isn't that nice? Too bad. I, that, I, yeah. Too bad that you and Mary can't see this movie together because you guys would just. It's, you're both gonna just be a puddle by the end of it. I'm sure. <laughs> as long as that, as long as that music is used in at least one fight scene, I'll walk out happy. Oh, me too. A two. Agree. Well, I'm sure we're gonna be talking about that more. So let's push on. Oh yeah. Uh, last one. Yes. The Mummy. I have to give you four words. All right, it's the last one. Fine. Not even a renter. My my one word response would be, really. You know what? That's better. Thank you. I I uh, I, I bow to the superior intellect on this one, Scott. You win. <laughs> Thank you, Con. <laughs> I I have absolutely no desire to see that fucking film okay can i ask you a question i know this joke has been said by pretty much everybody but i i i'm not saying this is a joke i honestly have to ask this while you were watching that trailer at any point did you think am i watching the mummy or the new mission impossible trailer yes yes it did it's oh it's something oh look there's guys in tactical uniforms oh and there's something bad happened to them on a on a uh C-47 transport or whatever the hell that cargo plane is and oh look there, the, some things are parachuting and oh it's just gone all to hell and Tom Cruise is defying the laws of physics and I, I well it's oh it's a girl this time well there's always a girl in these movies so yeah. now does okay so so does the the, the universal mon- okay so when they finally do the remake of House of Dracula and House of Frankenstein which is what they're aiming for um are these taking place in modern time? Uh, well, here's... Because I swear to God, the look... Because I know that Russell Crowe, who's playing Dr. Jekyll, is in this film. And they showed one shot of Crowe as Jekyll, and it looked like he was wearing slightly Victorian clothing. Well, I like, have not, I have I not looked think. into this at all, because... Okay. Uh, because I have... I, I, I want to continue pretending I have a life. So, understood. Uh, this is my understanding. I mean, obviously, the Dracula, the the first, uh, uh, the uh, the first fusillade, uh, the first shot in their in their attempt to revive the uh, the Universal Monster franchise, was it took place in you know ancient Valachia and 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 was all about uh, medieval Dracula. Uh, the next one was what was the next one? What was the next one? It was Dracula? Oh, I have no clue. Uh, was uh, was it? Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, uh, so this yes, the mummy takes place in the present day. Um, they, uh, which is too bad because I really I did like the the nineteen twenties uh, setting of the the Stephen Summers mummy. Not that I really loved the movie, but I just thought it, it did kind of capture that that fun whiz bang feel. Um, so it's just like, oh, who cares in the modern? Yeah, fine, whatever. It's just monsters in the modern day are kind of boring. But um, agreed. Uh, obviously, Dracula can can take part in any present day story. Uh, Frankenstein presumably can take part in the present day story. Doctor Jekyll, I don't know. I maybe he was made immortal by his serum. Who knows? Who knows? Okay, uh, who, who cares? Who cares? Uh, this is one. This is one freaking shared unit, one of the most of these shared universes that I could give less of a shit about. Yeah, really. Uh, what uh, I'm trying to think of another one, another universe that they've attempted to uh, 
unless we actually get a full-blown remake of House of Frankenstein or House of Dracula. If that title is one of the movies, I will go see that one. Uh, yeah, I I have to admit, I will too. Um, yeah, I will. They Oh, it looks like, okay, it looks like the... Oh, okay, well, they are officially saying that... Um, I guess Dracula, the the Dracula movie they're trying to say now was not. Um, yeah, was I heard not they the f- they're back they're backtracking that because it was such a big failure. So now they're saying the Mummy is the first film in the in the shared universe, and that all the other films um, are de- well, water dependent on how well the Mummy do. But I think they've got uh, so uh, Invisible Man, Wolfman, Van Helsing, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon that could be fun. Um, and Bride of Frankenstein. Those are the ones that have been um, announced. Okay. All right. I, w- I, could, I could handle a remake of Creature from the Black Lagoon. It I, has not been done in a while. Yeah, I, I, could, I could handle that too. Um, I'm fine with that. Uh, and Bride of Frankenstein. I think the last is... one was... What, the last remake of, uh, of uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon was what? Humanoids from the Deep? Ha! <laughs> Oh, that's a terrible, terrible insult to Creech. Take that back. <laughs> take that back. All right, I take that back. You're right. The original Creature from the Buckle Goon is a great movie. Oh, Raku Browning. Apology. All right. <laughs> Ow, okay. Sorry. Yeah. So, okay, there we go. A lot of genre films coming out in the first part of this year. Uh, that's, that's an item. So what does that say about me? Uh, it says that you're you're more discriminating than people might think. You don't just go see any piece of crap because it's it's genre esque, and I you know in that that's that's mostly big budget uh, studio temple movies. That doesn't take into account the ton of um, horror movies and such that I'm sure you're going to watch. Oh yeah, oh uh, see, uh, oh yeah, you'll go see way more of those than I will. So. I probably, probably. Okay, before um, we go to a brand new feature, before we get to, before we get to come, I have a couple of real quick Netflix things for you. Okay. Um, First off, I watched the first two episodes of, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, the revival of One Day at a Time. I can't believe you're saying this either. Yep. Um, they're doing well. The reason that I watched it was a, justice for Monty Franklin. Watched, well, yeah, I I watched the show as a kid, and I loved that theme song. And yes, they kept the theme song, oh, but Rita Moreno's in it. Oh well, now I have to rein in my uh, my dripping venomous contempt slightly. See, uh, as soon as I saw Rita Moreno's name, I'm like, all right, I have I have to at least check it out, and. I cannot believe I'm saying this, but I watched the first two episodes and I laughed more than once. Well, you know, I that's... genuinely like the, um, this family, the, the, um, the, this new family they've created for the show. Schneider is still Schneider. He's annoying as hell. That, that has not changed. Is it a three camera filmed in front of a live audience kind of thing or is it a single camera show? Uh, uh, I think it's three. So they're yes. Yeah, somebody yeah, somebody said camera. they're trying to bring they're trying to bring back the old seventies um, 
through 90 style uh, sitcoms. Um, well, Norman Lear is the executive producer of this reboot, too. Well, that may just be titular because I believe he was, Point the, taken. He was the producer of the, of, uh, the first one. Um, here's what worries me about this. Uh, one Day at a Time is clearly a gateway drug. And if you go down this path, the next step towards perdition is watching the first two episodes of Fuller House. No, no, that will never happen. Yeah, that, that will now. never happen. You say I can that assure now. you. As I say, the only reason that I watched the one episode of Full House that I did when it was on is because I learned that the guy who did the vo- the speaking voice of Aladdin was in the sh- the show, and I wanted to find out what he looked like. You watched it, you watched an episode of Fuller House. I oh, like no, I, no, the original Full House. Oh, okay, all right. Back in the day, I've never seen an episode of Fuller House. I only watched one episode of Full House, and that was just to see what the guy who voiced Aladdin looked like. That's fine, because um, you were younger back then and had more time to waste. We're older now. Exactly. Time is precious. Oh, um, no, I have a, no, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I may actually watch these other episodes, because the core family is actually interesting, and Rita Moreno is Rita Moreno. Yeah, I can't watch this because I I grew up in the era of, you know, three three networks and and a bunch of uh, crappy local channels that bought the bottom of the barrel syndicated yep. sitcoms. And to me, sitcoms just suck the soul out of you. I mean, I watched all of them. I watched uh, just everything that was on TV because it was on TV. And when you're a kid, there's nothing and else to do. And those three channels. So, yeah, you watched everything. Yeah, and... I, I feel like I've paid my dues. I've I've served my time. There's no reason for me to watch a sitcom now in my declining years, and I do not intend to. But that's fine for pe- a lot of people. Seem to enjoy the format, or as they might call it, the art form. And hmm. that's I would great. I there's, would not call it that. There's there are people in Iceland that like that that uh, that eating those those uh, decayed shark fins, or or seal flippers, or whatever it is they eat. <laughs> It's disgusting and it smells and like I it's it's not disgusting for me to, and smells like what? It's not, for, it's not for me to judge. Oh no, you can judge. You're allowed. Go ahead and judge. <laughs> I did. I have. I've judged you all. I found you wanting. But enjoy your sitcoms. <laughs> and uh, one last thing on my and this isn't actually Netflix. I just found this out today, mm-hmm. and um, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but the more I think about the more I'm cool with it. Um, they are rebooting Charmed. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. But did you hear how they're doing it? Uh, probably in I had no... Well, here's the thing. This is, this, is, this is why I'm like, all right, I will watch the pilot for one reason and one reason only. Mm-hmm. It is not being set in modern time. It's being set in the 70s. Oh, well, you know what? I may watch it for that, too. That's pretty smart. For that reason alone, and I'm like, wait, considering what was going on in the 70s, witchcraft films yep. in the 70s and what they represented, they could go to some interesting places with this version. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I hope they watched all the right films from that era, including The Manitou. I'm keeping my fingers crossed, although I doubt we're going to get some, you know, um, fake silicon body raping scenes. Uh, 
You'd never know, I guess, but I'm okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking the entity, not the Manitou. I'm sorry. My bad. Wrong film. I don't remember that in the Manitou, and I watched the Manitou. Sorry. Sorry. All right. My, my, my 70s medical horror got confused. I, I'm sorry. They all did. They all had titles like that. They all had, they all had titles that was the something. And it was always, you know, it was often a word you didn't didn't crop up in free, frequently in conversation. So all um, those movies with the in the title. I know when they try to confuse us, they're deliberately just they're, they're hoping to, that we'll forget we saw this one and we'll come. Oh wait, didn't I? No, I saw the other the movie. Um, and then some, <laughs> sometimes, of course, sometimes they went way too far with it with like Attack of the DDI creatures. Double the the, double the business. That's the model. Um, one last thing for me. Double the budget, double the fun. Yeah. Uh, is uh, they're releasing more photos from Star Wars Episode Eight, and oh, really? Yeah, quite a bit more. And I have been struck, particularly uh, by the close-ups of Luke Skywalker. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's Mark Hamill's long, flowing hair or the the bushy, grizzled mustache and beard. But he's turned into the kind of guy who looks like he'd have a lot of nose hair. It's just me. And on that note, we will be back for the unknown movie challenge right after I get a boner with Mrs. C. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the middle of the show. Sorry, guys, Monty Python, meaning of life reference, deal with it. Hello and welcome to a new mid-show segment called Your Bi-Weekly Boner. Joining me for this boner is the lovely and talented Mrs. C herself, Mary Clevenger. How you doing? Thank you so much. Yes, I'm doing fine. I have been I have been waiting for this for so long. Me too. The final season of Bones. <laughs> and and finding out what happened at the oh, I just had to find out the cliffhanger. What was it? Finally. So yeah, okay for those of you who do not realize, yes, we are gonna be talking about Bones for a little bit. So if you're not a Bones fan, you can just jump ahead fifteen minutes, but you're still gonna miss some geeky chat and we will shame you for it. Exactly. All right, what is wrong off, with you? <laughs> First off, you um, again, full spoilers, but if you don't care, then it won't matter. Um, you sent me a message after the season finale aired that said you called it. What did you call? Zach was coming back. Okay, okay. That was my, right, that was right, my thing. Because right. I had a feeling it was like, okay, he was there the first season. They're going to bookend it. <laughs> and I, and, and um, what did surprise me... What really surprised me about the uh, premiere was I honestly, I genuinely expected the Zack thing to be like at least a couple of episode storyline because Mm. I expected him to be the bad guy. But guess what? He wasn't. He was our sweet Zack. Now, did you call that? Uh, No, I don't think I did. I hoped, but. Because I, I didn't want to believe it, but it sure seemed like he was the bad guy at the end of last the last season's final episode. But then, Did, like right at the very at the very beginning of the premiere, when you're like, "No, no, it's it's truth serum." I just want she had to know. I mean, I didn't kill anybody. I was yeah. like, "Okay, we're going to we're going to a different area than I expected." Yes, and I, I and mean, yeah, go ahead. Well, I um I don't hope I'm not jumping, but I I kind of liked how oh jump go ahead jump we're bouncing the, all over the place with it. <laughs> I liked how the rest of the the 
the the squints and such that they all came to this realization that at first everyone's depressed they're like oh he did it I can't believe it and then it's like wait a minute and they all kind of it, it all it all starts to kind of snowball uh, for him in a good way and as twisty as the premiere episode was, and I give them credit. I mean, it they really twisty. bounced all over the place. I was going, the it's thing, him. He did it. No, she did yep. it. <laughs> yep. But the thing that got me the most was when we found out that Zach was Hodgins' doctor. Oh, wasn't that amazing? That and when and and when Hodgins realized that yeah he probably wasn't going to walk again yeah but I liked how they they ended that he's talking to Angela and just going you know it's it's okay I'm I'm not in pain and I just kind of went oh that's nice well he wasn't pain he's already been he's already been grumpy Hodgins we had yeah. an entire half seasons of, of grumpy the, asshole Hodgins of, yeah the the uh, whose life is it anyway Hodgins. <laughs> that's a really it? good analogy i like that one yes exactly <laughs> he does have a richard dreyfus-esque attitude about him he does You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but i was i was very i was very very happy uh with the fact that he was he had accepted things he'd gone all zen at at, at the very end of of the premiere mm-hmm. um apart from now since since i know you just you said you just watched it um this morning as well mm-hmm. did any did anything really strike you about the premiere just like wowed you or made you go motherfucker <laughs> um i think the i think what and it always gets me is the the body discovery I love the body discoveries. I think they're they're awesome. And so when they found that half body, I was like, "Oh my god, it's the Black Dahlia!" Um, that, was, <laughs> that wowed me a little bit. I did not expect that. Um, for me, I guess for me, the biggest thing uh, was um, Zach being Hodgins' doctor. That came completely out of left field for me, and the. Um, and the uh, realization that it was yeah full spoilers deal with it Zach's doctor. Yes, although it that made was a big holy that, fuck. Yeah. yeah, and it's so it's creepy in so many ways. I mean, it's just like he used all of the stuff he learned about Zach to make Zach the fall guy. Ugh. And I have to, and the other thing that that episode did really well, I thought, was plant the red herrings because there was that one scene when um, the shrink was talking to uh, to Brennan when that you believe that Rue. she could have been it. Yeah, Sarah Rue, and she was all like, "No, you seem really upset. Let's go somewhere." <laughs> You're just going, "Don't go with Sarah Rue. Don't go with Sarah Rue." Right, right, right. <laughs> and did you notice that that episode was directed by uh, Miss Emily Deschanel? It was. I'm not surprised. Has she directed any episodes of the show before? Well, I know David has. I don't know that she has. Okay. All right, then. Because I was genuinely impressed with the way that episode was directed. So if that was your first, Emily, good for you. Yeah. It was very... I don't want to say M. Night Shyamalan, but kind of. You know, there was nice twists. 
actually, I like the I kind of I kind of like the the uh, the uh, Shyamalan analogy because there there really was some you had to rethink the entire episode several times. And it helped to go a couple. I had to go over. I had to go back because I was going. Well, wait a minute. I'm looking at my notes. I'm like, okay, what conjoined twins? That was crazy. Right. <laughs> I was just going. And it made me, I was confused. I was like, so how did they, they became surgically separated? What, did his twin die? They never really explained that. That That is true. That is true. Yeah, Walter and I spent most of um, the, the premiere episode when when we finally got around to watching it just with our jaws dropped going, holy crap, holy crap. <laughs> and yeah, we were both also very happy that as that, that there's something going on um, with Zach, which of course opens the question, what is what is going on with Zach? Where is this going to go? I think it's going to go that, I, I mean, obviously he's not capable of murder. And I recall back when that one episode that when he was when he confessed and such that I seem to recall that there was some talk that people were going, but Zach couldn't do it. Maybe that's not Zach. There was actually some talk about that, that maybe it really wasn't him. Was there another apprentice? Um, but no, I think the show, I think Zach's back. I think he he's going to be exonerated and he's going to be back in the. In this, uh, I keep wanting to call it the Smithsonian. <laughs> Back so in the Jeffersonian. You, so, so do you? So do you? In fact, think that um, we may be getting for the final season an unknown um, Garmadon disciple. I wonder. I wonder if that's gonna. That's see. That's exciting to me because that to me that was the first really scary big bad they had. Yes. He, he ate people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He was just had the sharp teeth and the ooh, he was like the that doll that chased Karen Black around. Um, oh no! Don't even go there! Don't even go there! <laughs> I cannot. I as stupid as the first two parts of that movie were. That that <laughs> the Zuni fetish doll thing still scares the piss out of me. I know, I know. And I Karen know. Black's performance in that particular piece is just. I still remember that final shot where she's waiting for her husband. She just she just starts stabbing the floor with a knife. And and well, and then she smiles, and her teeth are all sharp. Yes, yeah, that that vinyl shot scared the piss out of me as a child, but that's neither here nor there. That is it, but um, yeah, no, I think maybe, maybe is the big bad going to be Gorgamon again? Maybe. How much do you bet that the last episode is going to be the um, Aristude and uh, Cam's wedding? That's you just took the words right out of my mouth. That's what I was saying. It's going to be yeah, no, it's definitely going to be that. Or I will. I'll bet on that. I'll take that bet. I think it's. I, I'll bet that you're right. <laughs> I won't bet against it. <laughs> I'll be very surprised if it's not. If they do the wedding before the finale, I will be very shocked. Right. I also think we're going to find that, out that, that Angela is going to be pregnant again at the end of the season. That wouldn't surprise me. That would not surprise me. But um, before we run out of our allotted time, we do have to run into the um, second. second episode. The brain in the bot for two reasons. One, I have to say, were you a little bit annoyed by the fact that they tried to make a mystery in the actual episode of the fact that the robot was the killer, even though in the description of the episode it mentions the fact that the robot's the killer? Oh, I didn't see. I don't remember the description, but I just remember when they found out how his body was dragged everywhere. I was like, oh, well, the robot did that. (laughs) 
<laughs> right, right. I mean, it, it, it's pretty freaking obvious in the episode what it is, but yeah. I mean, I, it even says in the description of the episode on the Hulu that they have to, oh. like, you know, figure out why this robot did this. And Rogue I'm robot. watching the episode. I'm like, 20 minutes in, it's a mystery? Come on, we already know. Yeah, they should have turned it into, like, a Columbo episode at that point. Oh, God. <laughs> now, the two biggest things that I took out of this uh, that I really want to talk to you about are, um, A, the return of Ryan O'Neill. Yes. And I want to point out that I called that he's dying in his first scene. Yeah. In his first scene, I went, well, he's going to be dead soon. And oh. then at the end of the party, when, when oh, what's-her-name picked up his little hospital, um, what, do, what do you call it? Um, the bracelet thing? Yeah, he picked up the bracelet. Oh, oh there we go. Okay, yeah, yeah, he's not making it out this season. Yeah, he's got a red shirt on. Uh, yeah, yep, 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 yep. But the big thing, oh, my God. Brennan in this episode. Oh, Yes. She was very um, now because at first she's like, <laughs> "Well, you know, you shouldn't don't aim too high." <laughs> she's getting a little jealous. <laughs> she was getting bitchy. She was a little bit. As, she, as, you know, as I don't think she, a little bit. I was thinking she was getting completely bitchy. And here's my thing: I even said to I, I did actually didn't say this to Walter, but I'm thinking halfway through the episode. Wow! After everything that she's been through, this really feels like a step back for her. I honestly thought this was a problem with the episode because I'm like, I thought she's grown beyond this. Yeah, that's what you know. That's one thing I was saying: how she seemed to have become more human. And, and then we got the big fucking reveal. I teared up. I'm not going to lie. I didn't cry, but I got misty-eyed. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, well, she was throwing that surprise party for herself, so, for herself, but for her friends. So I wonder if that, going back into her very analytical scientist self, was that a little bit of a, a cover for her? So that people would go, oh, she's she's getting this way again. Oh, we see. And then oh, well, she even, oh, well, she even said in the uh, episode that she was proud of her performance. That's right. See, I need to watch that one again. <laughs> if only for her performance. Because, yeah. I mean, that, that was the one thing that I noticed was just, I mean, like I said, the whole episode, I'm just sitting there going, this is a backward step. What the hell are they doing? And I didn't think I was liking the episode right. until that ending. I'm like, oh, oh, you bastards. Yeah. Um. Can I say what I what I really loved in this episode? Well, no. <laughs> Absolutely. Come on. <laughs> well, I'm very polite. You're going to learn that. You will learn that in time. Um obviously, I love the body. I love the body reveal. Oh, was, okay. As soon as yeah, it, even if you As soon as it opened up on a dog show, I was going, "Oh, yes." <laughs> We're going to yes, have show dogs eating don't... something. Yes, and for those of you who don't watch the show, yeah, uh, that is, uh, Mrs. C is right. One of the things this show is famous for is its body reveals. And this particular week's, yes, we had dogs feasting, and it was really nasty in HD. It was. Um, well, I didn't watch it in HD, so I can only imagine. I've seen HD now. I, it I know was it really can... nasty in HD. <laughs> I'm sure the blood on the poodle's uh, fur was very bright and visceral. <laughs> <laughs> Which that's another thing I loved that little bit with Hodgins versus the Clippers. Oh God! <laughs> His eyebrow came off. 
I love that. And the eyebrow flying. Yeah. I, I, poor Hodgins. Poor Hodgins. I'm paralyzed poor, and poor I have one eyebrow. His the the, the 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 reoccurring joke of him with the squinter and yeah when you when you, when you shot me yeah right um so I love that then I also love that there was a guy who was afraid of a robot apocalypse misty callback thank you very much <laughs> yeah that is that is that is indeed very true all right we we are officially locked out of the time that we have been allotted by me so <laughs> is there any last thing you want to throw out about these first two episodes do you think we're getting off to a good start um do you see anything besides the wedding which is obviously going to happen is there anything specific that you think you see happening well okay besides the wedding and dad dying <laughs> thank you so there's gonna be a wedding and a funeral obviously <laughs> um, no, my my takeaway is um, Zach is back. That's my big takeaway so far. Uh, I I also I wanted to mention I did love the end of the first episode with um, where Zach was gonna hug uh, Booth. Oh right. <laughs> and Booth is like no, and Brennan like oh he doesn't like to be hugged. And then Zach it's pulling away and Zach goes I have gloves on, <laughs> which is such a Zach thing. <laughs> So that, that, it was it was really nice to see him again, and yeah. it's still Zach. <laughs> He's still Zach. So that's yeah, Zach <laughs> is back, and let's wait. We're gonna have a wedding and a funeral. One wedding and one funeral. Possibly in the same episode. Po- oh, God, can you imagine? That's the name of the episode: the wedding and the funeral. One wedding and a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> or no. the funeral and the wedding. One of the, the body two. and the wedding. <laughs> there you go. The funeral, well, the wedding, right. and the funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. C, it's been a joy. I will see you in two more weeks for two more fan geekery about bones. And we're back after I just walked through the living room and found my wife. You walked on the couch. Your wife? No, no, through the living room, past the wife, not oh, okay, on the wife, okay. not over the wife, around the wife, and found the wife watching the Star Trek, uh, specifically the Eplebnista. One, the, the Omega one, one, Glory, Nista, the Omega Glory, the one where uh, Kirk lands on a planet where the uh, where uh, American barbarians are fighting Chinese communists and everyone mispronounces the Declaration of Independence. Okay, is this from the third Sorry. season? Uh, probably because it's that goofy. <laughs> uh, and I got there just as he was getting all righteous about the uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, basically, yeah, the whole, the whole, um, is this a real thing or are you joshing me? Because no, I no, don't no, no, remember this is a real this, thing. I don't remember this no. episode. Oh, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible episode. Um, yeah, they, they land on, it's another, it's another planet that's basically earth, but not, um, like, like the Roman planet, except this one, there was a, or the 1930s there was some, mob planet. Exactly. The planet of Chicago. Uh, in this case, it was there was some sort of apocalyptic war between China and the U.S. And they're still the, the remnants of each nation is still fighting it. And they're the Americans are, are have this sacred document that they mispronounce instead of saying we the people. They say e plebnista. And finally, Kirk says, well, those words, those words, what are they? And then when the guy's mispronouncing the Pledge of Allegiance, he gets it. and He starts saying the Pledge of Allegiance. So basically the entire episode the entire conflict is resolved through phonics. You know, I'm hooked on phonics. I've heard that, and I'm sorry, but there is there I, there's a 
maybe you should look into Hazleton. Uh, no, absolutely not. But anyway, it's time to come. Yes, to two movies this time. And okay, before we get going, I just want to point out that uh, I I was responsible for picking the films for this episode, and I had originally chosen another movie, uh, one that Scott has not seen, that I personally love and that I was very interested in having a discussion about, but Scott's too big of a pussy and didn't want to what? do it. Wait, and what? what? What was it? I don't even remember. You don't even remember. Uh, no. So that's how big of a pussy I am. I can't, even my memory can't even cope with it. What was it? Mr. Oh, I guess I got to watch this thing. Mr. Oh, let's do these instead. Shock treatment. Oh, that's right. As soon as you said that, I did remember that I pushed out on that in a big way. I was willing to do it. I was just going to be a pain in the ass about it. No, I am actually interested in having that conversation with you about this movie, because I think as somebody who knows, like, literally nothing about it, and coming in after history so many years after the film's been out, I think your take on it's going to be very interesting. Okay. I, the, I just have to psych myself up and get past Cliff DeYoung. Under, I, I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think Cliff DeYoung may surprise you in this film, but that is neither here nor there. Um, Instead... I had found I found a film on the Netflix that I'd heard of that I've never seen before, and I thought, "Hey Scott, have you seen this?" And Scott said, "No." And that is the you're you're the you're the uh, research guy. What year did Compulsion come out? I believe it was 1959. Uh, yes, uh, 1959. Okay, uh, it w- the film Compulsion, uh, which I like I said I heard about. It has. Uh, Dean Stockwell, Bradford Dillman, and Orson Welles, and uh, it's based on the Leopold and Loeb murder case. Google it. I'm not going to explain it. And um, Scott was the one who suggested, well, hey, since it's, since it's Leopold and Loeb, let's also do Alfred Hitchcock's Rope which is also based on the Leopold Loeb murder case. So we're going to look at two very different takes on the same story. At love American style. <laughs> okay, my, my rant is done, Scott. Go ahead. All right. Well, uh, I believe Jeff saw it in a in a strangely organized way. You you watched them chronologically, right? Yep, in order I of wa- release? I watched Rope first, and then I watched Compulsion. And okay, that was well, really we do... weird, considering Compulsion came after Rope, and Rope was in color, and Compulsion was in black and white. That messed with my head a little bit. Yeah, well, Rope, Rope was, I think, Hitchcock's first Technicolor film. Okay. Um, and, it, and it may be that uh, uh, the reason he did it, did it because it's a terribly, terribly um, stage-bound uh, film. Well, for, okay, and, for those of you who do not know, and there may be a few of you, the, the, the big thing that Hitchcock did with this movie was he shot it in 10-minute takes. So we have 10 minutes of uninterrupted scene, and then every so often the camera will go behind someone's back or go behind a fern and go behind something and black out for a second while he switches the camera take. So you're kind of basically watching a stage play. Right. It's it, they They... Uh, built uh, it, it all takes place in an apartment. It's based on a 1929 play um, that was written by uh, interestingly enough, I think a British novelist named Patrick Hamilton. Patrick Hamilton, and, yes. Uh, they, yeah, and so the, I think the Leopold and Loeb trial was what 1924, 25. 
Um, so it was it was kind of a true crime rip from the headlines. Um, Dick Wolf kind of production. Um, <laughs> but but so it, the, the play came out in twenty nine. But the uh, Hitchcock's movie came out 19 years later in 1948. Um, and as we were saying, the the play takes place in, in a single uh, Park Avenue apartment. And so does the movie. Now, Hitchcock called it an experiment. He called it a failed experiment. And when, due to various rights reasons, uh, which tended to crop up in the post-studio era, uh, when TV rights and stage rights and all that, it was just a lot, some films dropped into um, into the into the legal abyss. Uh, and, and Hitchcock was actually glad that Rope was one of those films. A film that he was sad about was uh, Rear Window. But fortunately, that was eventually they they straightened that out. And there was a major re-release and it was a oh, happy yes. day for all. But you remember, did you go to the theater when that? Oh, movie, yes, I did. Uh, oh, yeah. yes, I did. Are you kidding? Because I never had it. I'd never had a chance to see it in my entire life. The two movie, the two Hitchcock films that I am thrilled as punch that I got to see on the big screen were Rear Window and Vertigo. Yeah. yeah. Vertigo. Vertigo. Vertigo had no rights problems. I used to see that at the at the Balboa Cinema. It was the uh, the Revival House okay. in the town. Right. Used to see that all the time. Um, to Catch a Thief, North by Northwest, a lot of the major Hitchcock films. But I've never seen Psycho on the big screen. That, that I would like to see on the big screen. But that uh, that's still in or there. Shockingly, Psycho still, even though everybody going into it knows what the twist is, it still maintains a certain power to sway an audience. Oh, just have because I told you, uh, have I told you my Psycho story? No. Okay, okay, we're going to go off on a little tangent here, and I'm sorry, but this is a great story. Um, I was doing Hamlet at the time, okay? And one of the uh, people that I was hanging out with, uh, I was 21, um, teenage girl. I decided to bond with her because nobody else was bonding with her. She was like 14 or 15, and um, she was a movie. She she was a just beginning her movie education. She wanted to watch a lot of movies. She liked movies, but she hadn't seen a lot. And literally all she knew about Psycho was that somebody took a shower in it. <laughs> That's which, all she knew. Which... Which was true of pretty much a good 60% of the movies that came out in the 1980s. So, I, exactly. So I said to her, we're watching Psycho. So I, I got the movie and all I told her. I'm not going to let you go another day without having your tender teenage mind warped beyond all recognition. No, we watched it that week, in fact. It was within five days of her telling me that that's all she knew. I said, okay, we're, we're watching this. And all I told her was that, oh my God, Janet Lee. All I said was Janet Lee was a major star when this film comes out. Just remember that. Janet Lee is a big star. And, you know, we're watching the movie. And I knew she was hooked uh, the moment that she said, oh, my God, Norman's mother's a bitch. Mm-hmm. The shower scene completely freaked her out. She was blown away by the ending. I actually get now what the I get what the audiences in 1960 how they reacted to it. I got to see it through her eyes. I now know what it would be like, you know, to see that movie fresh. Because when I well, saw here's... it, I knew everything, you know. Because I mean, it was such, it was already such a huge movie. I knew the big twist. I knew almost everything about it. So I'm just watching it, going, "All right, this is a great movie, yay!" But watching it with her, it was like it was fun watching her get it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So it reminds me of when we went to see went to Disneyland, which I grew up going to and was sort of blasé about. 
uh, with my nieces when they were like six and four and seeing it all through their eyes and going, oh, this is actually kind of fun. It's not not not, not just as tacky and annoying as I, <laughs> as, but anyway, as I think about. But uh, the first time I saw Psycho, I'll just jump, oh yes. jump this because, as I said, before I'm old. I think I've mentioned this. And before uh, video cassettes were a thing, and for those of you who don't know, video cassettes were the thing that came before DVDs, which for those of you who don't know, are the things that came before uh, downloads. <laughs> um, before all that, if you wanted to see old movies, you either had to comb through the um, the TV guide, which was a thing that came before uh, the guide button on your TV remote on your DVR, which or, we also didn't have. Or your library's Super 8 uh, film guide. Exactly. and Or 16mm. Sometimes they had 16mm. If you were lucky, yeah. Because um, those had sound. Yes. Uh, or you would, if you were lucky enough, there was a revival theater in your town that would play old movies. And so from the time I was basically raised by our local revival house. Okay. Uh, all of my mores and, and manners were borrowed from classic Hollywood film actors. So I was I was an, a pretentious, affected little jerk for <laughs> much of my life. But polite, very courteous, always open doors for ladies. Anyway, um, took my hat off in elevators. Wore a hat, that was a problem. Anyway, um, so the first time I saw Psycho, I had never seen it or never seen all of it. I went in knowing, I think I went in knowing that Janet Lee died early on because that was common. That was common knowledge. I don't think I knew that um, Martin Balsam's character dies. Okay. And I don't think I knew. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I knew the whole Suspiria twist with, with mom. Um, you know, when they, she turns around and she's rotting in the chair. Um, so that the first time I saw it, there were a, I was in a theater with a bunch of 20-somethings and a bunch of teenagers because it was really – it was a little it was a little beach town, and in winter there was nothing to do except yeah. go to the movie. And we uh, – there was there were shocks and there were screams, and there was genuine suspense and surprise and horror. When we saw this movie, which would have been – the movie would have been about 15 years old by the time I saw it. Um, for the first time. So that's pretty good for a 15 year old movie that had been on TV. Indeed. Indeed. And, and still, still anyway, anyway, back so, to, back to these back guys to real fast, real, real fast. Uh, I can, I can sort of cover, I can sort of cover the, 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 the basic plot of both of these films in, in, in one, in one sentence. Um, Rich white douchebags who think they're better than everybody else kill somebody. I will add to that. Rich uh, douchebags who think they're better than anybody else can kill somebody and get away with it learn that they're wrong. <laughs> okay, point taken. Point. And, and it's just a uh, matter of how the story is told. Now, I have to admit, and we'll get to this in a second, I, I thought Compulsion was actually going to be a courtroom drama, so I was very surprised by how much of it wasn't. But, um, Rope. Okay, so, 
the rope. Um, right off the bat, I'm going to say well, let, this. Let is... me just add. Let me just finish what I was going to. Oh, say I'm before. sorry. My apologies. Yeah. I thought my bad. No, no. Go ahead. I no no. Just that's it's tangent city around here. That's just just the way it is. That's the way we like it. Um, so the thing about rope that you have to you have to go in knowing is that it was it was a, a, an experiment by Hitchcock in these these uh, taking a, uh, a, st- a stage bound play, a one set, a single setting play, making a stage bound movie and then trying to do something different with it by rather than cutting rapidly, as they did in the post in the MTV and post MTV era, he went the other way and shot it with these long takes. Um, I think that was part of the part of it was because he was uncomfortable working with the Technicolor cameras, which were like IMAX cameras. They are they were huge and bulky and weighed a ton and were difficult to move around. So you really had to plan your shots. And so I think he just felt more comfortable doing it, doing the whole thing on one stage. And they really it's it's a, it's astonishing. It's an astonishing set. The 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 cyclorama was the biggest one ever built for a soundstage. You've got models of the entire of the New York skyline, models of you have models yeah. of clouds, yeah. models of clouds made from spun glass that move and change shape like 20 times over the course of the thing. You have, yeah. the, you have the sunset gradually occurring. You have uh, lights coming on in individual buildings. It's it's really technically it's remarkable. Oh, not the, only that, agreed. And and the thing that I the one thing that I will say about the film on a technical level. Now, mind you, the actor and me loved it just because I love long takes just to let actors act, even though I'm mm-hmm. going to say right off the bat, I fucking hated the two leads in this film. Okay. I could not stand them. I just thought the performances were bad. They came They just I, I hated both of those characters. I didn't care. I wanted them caught within five minutes of them actually committing the deed. I wanted the film over. Mm-hmm. I hated them that much. The only thing, the only reason why I kept watching the film, I'm not going to lie, Scott, was I knew that, J- that Jimmy Stewart was showing up. It's the okay. only reason I kept watching, because I'm like, all right, when, when's Jimmy Stewart? When's Jimmy Stewart? So, you know, act one, you know, uh, the very beginning of the film, I give them points. Oh, actually, before I do this, no, wait a minute, I did want to say, the one technical thing that I noticed that I thought was absolutely beautiful it was this one shot um, after the act and um, the 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 dominant of of the couple is is disposing of the rope back in the kitchen mm-hmm. and he's talking to the uh, housekeeper and he goes into the kitchen the kitchen's got one of those swinging doors and you see him walk into the kitchen as it swings closed and the next time it's open you see you see him dropping the rope into the what you call it she doesn't see it of course because of where she's sitting and then it closes again and then he walk it was just a nice little technical I liked the way Hitchcock used the camera in the film. Yes. It was that for it was very interesting to watch for a single camera, basically in ten minute takes. He did what he could to make the film visually interesting. Unfortunately, for most of Act One, and um, when these when the idiots kill this guy whom we don't know, and then they decide they're going to have a party, and in the supreme audacity of their triumph, that's right, I'm quoting Poe, they decide they're going to feed their party guests who are the victim's family and fiance um from the 
chest in which they have placed the body. Yeah, but they, they don't go the full uh, uh, Medea. You know, they don't actually serve the son to his family. Thankfully, he's just, no, they didn't go that route. He's just in he's the just, chest. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, if John Waters remade it, that's how it would happen. But, <laughs> but like all of it was, these... Uh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, yeah, so so the we have two Leopold Loeb-like characters who uh, were... Um, uh, how, how can I put this? Okay. They... Uh, Leopold and Loeb were, were part of the, uh, the Jewish intelligentsia in uh, Chicago in the 20s. They are um, Gentilized, uh, gentrified in this movie. Um, all the characters are. Everybody's whiter than white. Uh, Ajax, Bleach, and um, Sir Sedgwick Hardwick is in this film. That should tell you yes. how white it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and it opens up with these two. They they've created. They they have um, thrill killed uh, a friend of theirs. And again, they, they invite a dinner party uh, of people, including uh, the murdered boy's uh, fiance, uh, her ex-lover, who used to be the murdered boy's best friend, um, they, the uh, father of the murder victim, his aunt, because mother's home with a cold, and their, their housemaster from prep school, who filled their head with thoughts of Ubermenschen and Nietzsche and uh, and uh, the um, the ability of super intellectuals to rise above uh, the 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 laws that constrain lesser and, men. And the worst thing about this movie is the worst thing about this movie. Well, for, okay, so the acting the, and the writing that they give these two assholes for most of their for most of their dialogue. Right. Oh. The, the, the two assholes are played by uh, John Dahl and Farley Granger, who were now that was if you, Farley Granger. Yes, Farley, Farley Granger was the um, was the the uh, the one who. Basically, has a nervous breakdown. Now, they're, oh my these God, are. I like yeah, I, okay. I believe this was done deliberately because they are both they are both gay actors. Um, and uh, Arthur Lorenz, who adapted the screenplay, who was the screenwriter, was also gay. And I believe. And Hugh Cronin helped work on the script too. By the way, he's not gay. So this kind of throws off that. But I was just saying that. That I believe Arthur Le- and I probably should have looked this up. I'm sorry, people. I didn't do this because it only just occurred to me now. I believe Arthur Lorenz said that Hitchcock cast two gay actors as the Leopold and Lowe characters deliberately, and that Lorenz wrote the characters' patter and interactions to, to read as gay if you were looking for it, that they were subtextually gay. Now, when I saw that, Rope the first time, when I saw Rope for the first time in the 70s, calling their gayness subtextual is being extremely polite because they're pretty overt. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I, I was I was hoping you were going to. I know you mentioned this when we were talking about Rope earlier, and this is something that surprised me. Um, I'm a gay man and I didn't see it at all. Wow, really? They did not. They, those characters, I was. I felt like I was hunting for it. The characters to me just were obnoxious assholes. They came across mm. all they were. They were pretentious, obnoxious assholes. They were not gay, pretentious, obnoxious assholes. 
I mean, I, I literally, it, I was. You didn't get the sense that their relationship, that they were lovers. I, it was uh, literally at the end of the film. I was going. I don't know if this is me or not. I genuinely. I mean, it's. It's. I. I wasn't. It did not. Okay. I hate comparing and contrasting, but it was uh, even before the obvious line in Compulsion, which we'll get to later. I felt it was much more obvious in Compulsion. Oh, it's it's text in compulsion. But it's I mean, not, even ignoring that before they even got to the text. I mean, the text. I mean, before they actually spelled it out. I think that Bradford Dillman and um, got uh, Dean Stockwell did so much of a better job in looks and the way they interpreted dialogue to making you believe that these guys were a couple before they spelled it out. Now, looking okay at rope, it's it's I see it. I do, I see it, but just the actor in me, I just I don't I don't I don't feel like they did it. Okay. Well, and I know I'm wrong. I know I I know I know that this is just me being weird and I accept that. And I also think honestly, I think it's partially because I just hated the characters so much. Well, I don't know if it was the acting, it was just everything about those guys irritated me i want i wanted them caught i wanted them to be hurt (laughs) okay well farley granger i never thought was a very good actor um and and interestingly uh john tall who was a gay man uh gives a better more convincing performance as the as the the uh the uh manly trick shot artist Who's crazy for um, Peggy Cummins in Gun Crazy? He's he's gives a much more natural performance. Okay. In that part, than as this as this rich, um, as this rich Nietzsche quoting esthete. Uh, rich this... Nietzsche quoting douchebag. Okay. I'm so I, I I'm so, I genuinely I, I cannot overstate how much I hated these well, two characters. I think. Okay, and I, I let's talk about why because I think Dahl overplays it. I think he's arch to a fault. Um, he's snidely whiplash. Yeah, he's arch to a fault, and <laughs> I think I think Farley Granger is Farley Granger to a fault. I think he's just a weak actor. I I've seen him on stage. I've seen him in oh okay. I mean, I've seen him in plays. I mean, he was in you know he 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 was the weak link in. Um, Strangers on a Train. Oh, really? Okay. All right. All right. All right. But okay. So I gotta say, I gotta say, just because I do, I do, I do want to keep things moving and keeping away from tangents. So Jimmy Stewart pops up. Jimmy Stewart. We'll get to this, but let me just say right now. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Incredibly miscast in this movie. I agree with you. I agree with you. That being said, his first scene, I fucking love. What was it? What did you love about it in particular? Uh, there were, I, the, I, I think it was because the other, the other two guys came across in their Nietzsche quoting isms as such complete and utter obnoxious douchebags. Uh, I just, I liked the way that Jimmy Stewart's character just came in instantly was sizing up the room. It was just, you knew he was, you knew this guy was thinking about what was going on in this room the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I was actually legitimate. I was when he came on, I was legitimately fascinated. I, I, I loved watching him seeing the the two douchebags acting douchebaggery and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I, I even loved how um, 
you know, certain hints got dropped, like when he was given the wrong hat at the end. Mm-hmm. And they don't overplay it. You just see the initials. He gets white a little, gets the hat back, and you know that's it. He doesn't make a line about it. I mean, that, the, the act two we'll we'll call it, it, since this was obviously a three act play. Act two being the party. Act two I thought was great, and it was entirely because of Jimmy Stewart. Then we got to act three, and I hated what they did to the character. What did you hate? I hated the fact that, you know, I mean, okay, first off, I I really was hoping, and this is, again, not, I honestly, oh, yeah, I honestly, I thought I had seen this film before, by the way, guys, I had not, because a half hour into the film, I didn't remember any of it, so I, this, I, this, this movie is totally new to me, um, at the end, when he comes back, and he brings out the rope, Mm-hmm. And there's that that, that close up, the kind of close up shot of his hands as he's holding the rope. I really, really wanted him just to drop it and leave. Why? I uh, him being the the Nietzsche Uberman smarter than these two that he is. I kind of wanted him to let them destroy themselves. Mm-hmm. They, I know he caught them, let them, you know, I mean, and instead we get this, oh, I've, I, I've never been offended by anything that I've ever said or done, but now my words, you've taken my words and twisted them into something evil. And he gives this really long, annoying speech and it just, I understand why they did it because here's this character who's suddenly confronted with murder and he couldn't handle it. And I got it. It was just an act to, he, I just, he seemed like he would react to it. This character would have reacted in a different way. I just really well, don't like the way he reacted to the ending at all. Well, reviews of rope in the, the movie, um, some of them were written by people who had, uh, New York, uh, critics who, who reviewed the play in 29. Okay. Um, a lot of them said that the, while it was still a good melodrama as a, as a story, what it lacked was um, the, the, the satisfying tension of seeing the teacher destroyed by his theories, by witnessing his theories put into action. Um, if you think about it, in 1929, I mean, Nazi, the fascism was a thing already in Italy right. as well as that. It was on the rise in, in Germany. Um, and this whole idea of lesser and greater people and the whole Nietzsche and Uber mentioned and right to the right to rule. And, and all of these ideas uh, uh, were current and were being discussed in journals, I mean, it was a very it was it was a time when when ideas had tremendous currency, and there were you know there were journals and and uh, radio programs, all these things. People were not afraid to discuss ideas in ways that we don't seem to do anymore. Um, so it was an interesting at that time in 1929, when the world was coming apart in so many ways, to have a play where somebody who was besotted with theory confront is confronted with practice and realizes that he is, he has inspired murder that he's inspired horror. Okay. That, he, that, he that is, actually makes sense. That does not, that, that did not come across to me in the film at all. And they didn't come across for two reasons. One, because I don't think Jimmy Stewart was capable of playing it as fine an actor as he is. 
Two, I think Hitchcock blinked and didn't didn't allow Hitch, didn't allow Jimmy Stewart to be confronted with his responsibility, his, his the character because Jimmy Stewart was Jimmy Stewart, and you cannot make him unlikable. And two, I think <laughs> the role was written for somebody else. Stewart, if you were Stewart's wearing spray gray in his hair, yeah, and he's trying to come off as as as, as an older uh, gentleman. Yep. It, it, and it's like, okay, who who should this have been? Who who should have actually played this part? I mean, there are a number of actors um, who would have been the right age who could have played um, uh, like a, a, a self a self obsessed or self pleased intellectual who who can win who go to a room dominate it uh, dominate the argument whether he whether he's speaking con, con, from conviction or not. Um, and had sort of spent his life doing that in the classroom and academia, socially. And then he sees the consequences of that. And, and, and he's fronted with, with his own responsibility for this hollow life he's led. Um, I'm sorry, it's like Ronald Coleman could have done it, I think. Okay, okay. Uh, um, I'm just thinking of actors in 1948 who would have had, who could have played, who could have come in and like sort of be an intellectual peacock. And then just shatter, shatter like a you know a glass figurine. Um, I think the weakest the weakest thing is that is that uh, about the film. The reason it doesn't work for me is besides the fact that it's stagey. And and I once you realize what the experiment is, if you're willing to go with it. But I, I think it's it's the fact that Hitchcock was not willing to go with the implications of what his story was saying. I think he. He backed off, right. and for that reason, and also because they were at pains, and, and you know, remember this is this is the the um, the Hayes office, the uh, the Breen office, the the um, production code was in full force at the time, and the crime could not pay, and you were you were highly, I'm sure they got notes about not making the murderers sympathetic in any way. Oh, I'm sure, absolutely. So. And that may be part of the reason why John Dahl, who was a very, was a quite a decent actor, I've seen him good, good performances, was so over the top okay. with this character. Okay, he I, was I so can, contemptuous. I, I I can accept that. So I was already in a annoying, annoyed mood after after watching Rope. I was like, all right, let's see the one that I originally wanted to see. And the second Leopold and Loeb-esque film is Compulsion, which was 1959, directed by Richard Fleischer. Yes, uh, just for, for people who, for whom the name doesn't uh, immediately ring a bell, uh, Richard Fleischer, a little trivia, was the son of animator Max Fleischer, of the Fleischer brothers, who, who did the great Art Deco Superman cartoons in the early 1940s for Paramount. Um, Richard Fleischer directed... 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Fantastic Voyage, Dr. Doolittle, Tora, 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 Soylent Green, and Mendingo. Varied career. <laughs> and you can tell... And, Go ahead. Uh, well, just, it, he did films with a lot of scope, as you can see. Uh, a lot of fantasy films, a lot of sci-fi films, a lot of Technicolor films. And then, he, in the middle of it all, he does Compulsion, which is this kind of small scale, not a, not a big cast, black and white film kind of kind of dark little dingy little 
story. And right off uh, the bat, it has a different feel than Rope. I mean, Rope, you know, the opening theme is very bombastic, not in the Albert Glasser sense, but just in the, you know, it's very, very orchestral. It's very flowing. It feels more like the overture to My Fair Lady. Mm-hmm. The mute, the opening theme to Compulsion is very 1959 bongos and and the way the, the font that Compulsion is is written. We're watching a B movie take on this. Oh yeah, it's I mean it's 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 because it, it opens with a black and white shot of a Stutz Bearcat and there's a super title that says Chicago 1924. So uh, immediately I thought, are we wait, are we watching a gangster movie? <laughs> but but then then there's this this blaring threadbare jazzy score that i agree makes you immediately think maybe van doren is going to wind up in reform school oh and by the way another real um fast piece of trivia for you this is the very first film produced by richard zanuck oh didn't know that little piece of trivia for you now you do and knowing is half the battle gi joe anyway um again this time our leopold and Loeb characters are artie and judd played by bradford doman and dean stockwell and right off the bat i mentioned this before we were talking about rope oh my god the acting in this is so much better yeah uh so much better both of from Stock- both of dean these stockwell guys. actually actually created the part of um of uh, Judge Steiner on um, Judd Judd Steiner on Broadway. He played the role in the 1957 Broadway play. Um, that was the the adaptation of the of the uh, of the novel. Which that that doesn't that doesn't surprise me because I mean he is just it's it's a phenomenal performance. The one that really impressed me though is I got to give massive um, shout outs to uh, Bradford Dillman who is the uh, dominant one, for lack of a better word, in this one. And um, unlike, what did you say the guy's name was in Rope? John Dahl. Okay, thank you. Yeah, unlike John Dahl, um, his, uh, while well, um, Dillman's performance is very over the, I mean, he's very manipulative and he's very much a douchebag and he's very much controlling. There is more of a subtlety and charm about him. You don't like him, but you do. He's actually a much more interesting character. Um, the dynamic between Artie and Judd is much more interesting in this. Uh, I found it much more believable until they spelled it out, which we'll get to, which really surprised me. Um, uh, I, yeah, the, the, the homoerotic subtext is set in the very first scene when they, they come climbing out of yep. uh, a window when they, I guess they pulled a petty, a petty heist just for the thrill of it. And um, uh, that's when we first meet them. And they're both kind of, you know, laughing and thrilled by, um, and we, we, and Dean Stockwell's, Dean Stockwell plays uh, the cerebral Judd. Bradford Dillman is the extroverted uh, adrenaline junkie Artie. Um, and and immediately the top bottom dynamic oh, yeah. is established. I mean they 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 make their escape from the from the burglary and uh, Judd has taken stolen a a, a typewriter. Uh, used it, it's usually it's it's worthless it's a it's a secondhand typewriter um and he just did it just because he panicked and he was holding on to it and he couldn't let go um and Artie said you know i um i thought you wanted me to command you 
And Judd says, oh, I do. Command me. I mean, yep. it, it, he's looking at him with the with, uh, it, it's a very daddy boy, B.O.I. boy uh, relationship. I mean, it just he's he's so uh, Judd is so fixated on Artie, who is too much of a narcissist to return any of that attention. But he soak but he soaks it up. He just can't reciprocate. And then um, what amazing! But Artie has Artie has the Artie has the the charm of a psychopath. You know, he has Very, that. He's like volatile and could go off in a second. But he's he's quick with a smile and he's he's quick with a joke and he's always sizing people up to see what it takes to get on their good side. I mean, I really uh, kept waiting for the moments when he was gonna snap. I mean, that one scene when um, Judd when Judd comes home and Artie's holding the bear, that entire scene with the teddy bear. Yes. Yeah. 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 I you was know, waiting for something really bad to happen. And, and then it, the scene, the scene went in a way you didn't expect. Right. And right. You, right. So they kept doing it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I, I got to get this out because this I just I was not expecting this at all. Like I said, I mean, OK, so the homoerotic subtext is there. But then we get a scene where the uh, main female character is with her fiance and she's talking about going out with uh, Judd. And the guy basically says, I'm not I don't I don't think I have to be worried about, with him around you, if you know what I mean. And they come flat out and, uh, you know, with, without saying he's gay, they say he's gay. And I was really surprised by that. He runs into his brother, who's played by Richard Anderson, Oscar Goldman, from The Six Million Dollar Man. And he's uh, there's obviously uh, Richard's the older brother. There's obviously tension between them. Um, he uh, Judd thinks everyone around him is an idiot. And he has no patience for for anybody treating him like a child because um, he thinks all the adults are immature. And basically, Richard saying, yeah, is already fucking you. I think I think he should probably stop fucking you because I don't think it's good for you. And it's it's said it's not said, but it's completely said in, in the in the context of the the conversation they're having about. How is already your only friend, and what do you guys do together? It's, it's like he it, the way Anderson plays it, he knows exactly what they're doing, and it's like, yeah, maybe it's a phase, but yeah, you should probably, you know, go out with a girl maybe, and <laughs> and then he tries, and well, that goes horribly. But that goes and the horribly. thing, thing about it is Artie, I don't even get the sense that Artie is necessarily gay. I think Artie is is a attention whore. And he will play into uh, Judd's fantasies oh, enough to get that that attention. Um, he's willing. He's willing to take a load to get a servant. Well put. <laughs> um, yeah. So the the yeah the the daddy boy dynamic is is established right off the bat, very economically, and it's interesting because it's they're both roughly the same age, but. Um, and, and it's, it's, you can tell this is the linchpin in, in Judd's life. This is the fulcrum on which everything tilts because Judd is, is cool and detached and emotionally above everything and everyone, but he is obsessed and dependent and needy around Artie and only around Artie. 
So uh, you 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 you're just waiting for this to blow up, and this we're we're like two minutes into the movie, so <laughs> it's it's very it's it's not, it's not a long movie by any means. Um, no, rope is rope is quite is much longer actually. Well, rope is about the same length, but it feels longer. Okay, all right, I, I can I can accept that. <laughs> but and then the other thing that the other thing that I thought this had surprisingly uh, similar to rope and only done better is at uh, the end the the end of the movie we get our big star to give a big speech. Yeah, but Orson Welles. Unlike, I, unlike Jimmy Stewart's in Rope, Orson Welles' speech in um, Compulsion is actually good. Well, the amazing, well, the the amazing thing is, um, in the actual Leopold and Loeb case, um, Clarence Darrow, who was hired to defend the the uh, the two boys, gave a a, a famous twelve hour uh, closing speech. Um, and he realized that because they had confessed, there was no way that he could tr- get them off, that there was no way that they were not going to be convicted and executed. So instead of putting them on trial, they stipulated to the murder, um, but he put capital punishment on trial and mm-hmm. saying basically the state, would, these kids are obviously sick and to execute them would be as sick an act by the state as the act that they they themselves committed. And 12 hours is, you know, obviously not even, not even, uh, um, Fossbinder is going to crank that out. Like not going to do a Berlin Alexander plots. (laughs) But it's pretty amazing because they turn. and, And, and this is where Orson Welles, pay you know uh, earned his top billing in the film yeah because he only comes on in the latter third uh he gives a 12 i went back and timed it it's he gives a 12 minute speech okay uninterrupted 12 minute address all about capital punishment and all about i mean it's it's a lengthy speech ranging over history the history of of human civilization and and the de- development of jurisprudence. But and unlike blah, 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 the blah. Jimmy Stewart speech, it didn't feel long. I mean, the words he's saying is good. Oh. He's he's knocking it. Orson Welles is uh, knocking it out of the park. I mean, it's a it's a staggering performance that he's giving. As much as I hated everybody in Rope, I genuinely love all of the acting in Compulsion. Yeah, it's really a, a well acted film, and it did it did very well. Um, I think it may have it, 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 in a lot of competitions. I think it, they, I think uh, Stockwell and Orson Welles and uh, Dillman, I think Dillman, one took the top act. Dillman Stockwell, Con. Dillman Stockwell and Wells won the Best Actor Award at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, it was nominated for the BAFTA Film of the Year. Um, it was it was nominated for Best Screenplay. And it is to, in 2008. It was one of the American Film Institute's uh, t- top courtroom drama films. And it's it's a film that is rarely seen. I mean, it's not something that cropped up on TV a lot. I was, um, I've only just heard of it, and I, I I knew I knew the name, and I knew that uh, Dean Stockwell was in it only because I was a Dean Stockwell fan. That's all I knew about it. And then I I didn't even know Orson Welles was in it until I started watching it on Netflix. I've only seen production stills of it in a book. 
I had never had the chance to see it. I had looked for it over the years, but and thank you to Netflix for making it available. But I had never come across an opportunity to see it. So I'm very and and when you said it doesn't, his speech doesn't feel off. I want to second that because I happened to glance at the at the counter in the in the uh, browser window when his when it, he he when the defense rested and realized, wait, there's like a minute and thirty seconds left. What? And I went back. How long is the speech? I went back twelve minutes. It didn't. It felt like yeah, two. It really did. It was it was mesmerizing. Um, and the, the 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 thing the characters are so much. I mean, it's not fair because Rope is it, it's it's a play. It's a it's a it's a play of suspense where you're waiting for the victims or you know the other people to to wise up. Um, there's a little bit of that in this, but they spend so much of them because so little of it takes place with their trial. So much of it takes place with the characters and how they slowly come apart as their crime. As their the teddy bear scene, man, the teddy bear scene. Exactly. And, and when you see them, but even before they commit the perfect murder, uh, you get a lot, you, you do get introduced to them. You, you, for instance, we, we see, we see Judd in class because he is, he's one of these kids. He went to, they both went to, you know, college in, um, you know, when they were 14 and and Judd's in law school now. And he likes to sit in the his law class and quote Nietzsche and humiliate his elderly professor. And it's clear that he regards that he regards himself as an intellectual superman, while Artie doesn't doesn't isn't as pretentious about it. He just thinks he's better than anybody because, well, isn't it obvious because he can fool anybody because he's he's a he's a I was going to say Artie Artie's a pure sociopath. Yeah, and he's continually he's continually putting one over on people and making them think the way that he, he likes messes them or with that he the cares cops about them. is hysterical. It really is. I love the mm-hmm. way he messes with the cops on this. It's just, it's just out of the two films. If you, I mean, if you haven't seen Rope, it's an interesting experiment. But watch Compulsion. It's a great fucking movie. Yeah, and there, we get to see the characters have fun with their with their crime. You, you see them sort of enjoy their imagined superiority. And Stockwell particularly. The performances are really what made this movie for me. Artie, Artie is, is the showier character and was probably more fun to play. It certainly looks like Bradford Dillman is having fun with the character. Um, but Stockwell is doing something very subtle. If you, if you watch in the camera, the, the Fleischer does get in close on Stockwell particularly. I mean, if you notice when, when you see Artie, he's often in a group or he's in a two shot or like in the teddy bear scene, you, he's in profile, but there's a lot of close up full face shots of Dean Stockwell. Cause I think Fleischer said, okay, here's where the money is. Okay. They're, they're into speakeasy and they haven't been discovered. Um, and uh, Martin Milner is a cop reporter on a local paper. And he's, he's also in, in uh, Judd's, um, law class, and so they're friends, and they go to a they're they're sitting in a speakeasy, and uh, Judd is talking to um, uh, Martin Milner's girlfriend, and who's this very empathetic kind of girl, smart but not part of these intellectual games that the guys are playing with each other, and 
so he's so everybody is talking amongst themselves and, or they're dancing and there's the uh, uh, Judd and this girl are left at the table and he's going on the way he was in his law class. He's speechifying um, again about, you know, the Ubermension and, and, and how laws don't apply to people of certain and, and, and the shackles and blah, blah, blah. And he, he, he says something about he just mentions in passing that, that he doesn't have anything in common with his mother when the girl brings her up because oh, I have nothing in common with my father or my mother either. She died when I was eight. And the girl just automatically like reaches out and clutches his hand in sympathy. And for a second, you get a glimpse of the real God because he looks so shocked and flummoxed and confused by this little just simple kindness on her part that you realize and he drops this this mm-hmm. cigarette smoking kind of heavy lidded eyed you know superior drawling delivery and you realize oh Judd's playing a role this 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 is an affectation that he plays yep. because he's poorly socialized and doesn't know how to deal with people unless he's feels like he's dominating them and then she just shocks him out of that you see this scared little boy and you realize, oh, wait, this is why this character who seems so removed from human emotions in every other scene could turn so pathetically needy the moment he senses Artie's disappointment or disinterest. And it's like that scene puts these two seemingly disparate parts of performance together and you see, oh, it's all the same character. He's He's been playing us in the previous roles. It's kind of brilliant. It, it 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 really it really really is so uh folks yeah if you want a great movie to watch that you haven't seen before highly just check out compulsion um if you want to watch rope watch vertigo slum one or two guests on the slum one or two breasts on the slum should probably fade on the slum Slum, 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 slum,